Good morning and welcome. This morning we continue to rejoice that we have a risen Savior and how thankful we are that our Savior is one of compassion and presence and of loving activity in our lives. And we rejoice too this morning that our risen Savior rules over all and that through faith his victory over sin and death is also ours. Amen. We agree with David in the words of Psalm 16 as we say to our God who reigns, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Amen. Let's stand together. Yeah. 
from Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess before you that we have sinned and that we fall short of your glory. We confess that we are deserving of your wrath. We know there is nothing in ourselves that can earn your favor. And we rejoice that you yourself have provided your own righteousness through faith in Christ alone. 
Through his victory, we know that we stand justified before you. And yet, Lord, we are so aware of how we continue to fall short of your glory. And we continue to seek that lost glory in so many places and in so many ways that we think will fill us. Lord, would you give us the grace to see that only the risen Savior Jesus can fill us. Only his life within us can restore us. Give us the grace to treasure our standing before you and to allow the risen Savior to dwell in each area of our lives that we may more fully display your beauty and be filled with your joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
may be seated. As we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to call the ushers to the front, please. As we get ready to collect offering, I want to remind you that if you're visiting the church uh, for the first time, you please do not need to feel obligated to participating uh, participating in this in this part of our worship service. Uh, this is something that we do as a, as a family of faith that belong to this church. Because we do believe that everything that the Lord has given us belongs to him. And we are returning a fraction to him of what he has given us. Uh, because we believe in his kingdom and the purposes of his kingdom. You may pass the plates. Uh, so you, if, you, if this is a church and you never heard this before, there's three different ways for you to support the church financially. Uh, you could always give online. Uh, you could give your offering as we pass the plates every Sunday. Or if you're worshiping with us online, you could always uh, give you, send you offerings uh, to the offices of the church. Amen? All right, as we continue to uh, pass the plates, uh, if you were here last week, actually for the last two weeks, we have been talking about uh, this event that we have been holding uh, for about or, or doing for about 18 years now. Um, because we believe that part of what it means to be people of the resurrection is that we contribute to what the Lord is doing in this creation. See, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, that also means that we believe that one day Jesus is going to come to make all things new. And that uh, between the first uh, resurrection and the second resurrection, for the lack of a better word, uh, God is doing, making all things new, and you as a believer and I as a believer get to contribute to what the Lord is doing and will do. Amen? Therefore, you and I, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are people on mission. We have a purpose to bring glory to God and do anything in our power to contribute to what the Lord is doing in this creation. This event is going to take, it's called CareFest, and this is uh, going to take place on May 6th. But just to give you a little bit more of a visual um, invitation for you to understand why CareFest is so important, I want you to take a look at this video, please. That's what I do. I'm a, a remodeler by trade. It just so happened that Gene needed some work, and I was available to do it, and uh, as the project was coming to a completion, the snow melted, and we could see in the yard, it was a mess. It seemed to be a perfect fit for a CareFest project for us. Rick here, who first mentioned to me, he was doing some work for us in our house that we had just purchased. He mentioned that maybe the work outside could benefit from CareFest, like a lot of old houses, well overgrown, some trees that need to be removed, and shrubs that were overgrown and uh, uh, places where there was no grass needed to be sodded and it was a big job. We were able to come as an adult community to spend the day together and most of the class was there. It was just so delightful. I was going around just enjoying everybody's uh, presence and it's, it's just such a delight. 
and brought so much joy to Linda and I as we saw the, the love and love put into action, love where they made a difference in our lives by fixing up that house. You know, it's always special when you can do a project like that together. And uh, everyone has a good time, and we were so blessed by it. It's just a different context, a different purpose, and uh, as Jean said, the blessings were huge for them, but also for us to do that as a, a community. I strongly encourage you, no matter uh, your strengths or weaknesses, there's, there's room for everybody. You can uh, grab a shovel, you can grab a saw, sit on the ground and plant, push a wheelbarrow. There's all kinds of tasks that can be done for anybody. And so uh, I'd encourage anybody to consider it. The joy of working together with the church family and for the kingdom in this way, it's such a blessing to, to do it and to receive it. As you can see, CareFest is for everyone, everyone in the church. Whether you are a young person or a maturing adult, whether you have 20,000 gifts or you don't think that you have a gift, the good thing is that day you get to pretend. You just do things. Um, I want to invite you to join us. This has been a beautiful opportunity for us not only to contribute to what the Lord is doing, but to show our community that we are here not just for us, but we are here for the glory of God and their well-being. So please join us. You could go to wittenbible.org slash carefest. If not, after the service, you could stop by one of the tables, sign up, get your t-shirt, and start praying for the Lord not only to use us that day, but for the Lord to give us divine appointments. The Bible calls us that we live by faith in public so people may ask of the reason of our faith. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful that you have given us abilities and talents. Not for us, but for the glory of your name and the well-being of others. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you help us as a church respond and do the things that you have called us to do. To proclaim the gospel with words and to show the power of the gospel with deeds. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that might need help during this season. I pray, Lord, that we may be able to help them and serve them as well. I pray, Lord, that you make of us people that, is, that are conscious about our resp responsibility, our purpose, and our mission in this creation. And now, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing to you. So please speak to us this morning. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him. Today's reading is from Matthew 19, 1 through 12. You can find this on page 106 of your journal. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal. I want to welcome you all to the first Sunday after Easter. And to make things interesting, I think that Jesus, to make things interesting, uh, gave me to speak about three very easy topics to handle and understand. (laughs) Three non-controversial topics whatsoever. We're going to talk about marriage, divorce, and singleness. Anybody else nervous for me this morning? (laughs) Is it only me? (laughs) Someone (laughs) raised their hand over there. Thank you. Please be praying. So I want to go straight to the point. I don't have any cute illustrations. Let's talk about marriage. But before we do that, I need you to do me a favor and look at the person next to you and tell the person this. This is about to get interesting. Go ahead. All right. Marriage. Just by a show of hands, how many of you guys are married? Oof. (laughs) All right. That's a lot of you. How many of you guys wish you were not married? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) The text says that Jesus is going about his business and a large crowd is following them. And he's welcoming all these people and he's healing people. And this we'll find in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3 says that the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, approached Jesus to test him. So that he is surrounded by a group of this group of people, and what they want to do is make things awkward for Jesus in front of the followers. They want him to lose credibility. They want to prove in front of Jesus' followers that he is phony, that he is not who he says he is. They want to test them. All right? And to do that, they ask the following question in verse 3. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That's a really interesting statement. For any and every reason. And I find that question intriguing because they, they, seem, they seem to be trying not to find reasons for people to pursue marriage or stay marriage. 
And they're not, they're not uh, talking about marriage in a way that we could say that is good, that is important. But it seems like if the question is actually doing the opposite of that. He's saying marriage is so bad that what are the biblical justifications for us to divorce anybody for any reason and every reason? The question tells you a lot about the heart of this man. It's almost like if I'm about to get married and I, and I bring my fiancé to the pastor and I ask the pastor and I tell the pastor, I love this woman with all my heart. I'm willing to die for her. I'm going to do everything in my power to stay with this woman, but just in case, how about you tell me the 10 reasons that I could find, that I could use so I could divorce this woman, just in case. See, if you're that woman, I think that it, will be, uh, it is safe to assume that even though you hear me saying that I love her and I care about marriage, the 10 questions I have tells you the opposite. That's exactly what's happening here. What is it that people are supposed to think about marriage with this question? Why is it that they're so... Uh, Focus on the divorce part of marriage. Jesus, that is a brilliant teacher and that knows how to discern people's hearts. Instead of starting with the reasons for divorcing, he starts by elevating and exalting marriage. And he is going in two verses to show that marriage is good, that marriage should be pursued, that marriage should be defended, that marriage should be protected, that marriage should be cultivated, and that marriage should be cherished. Oh, I'm sorry, in three verses. Notice that he doesn't answer the question right away. He's going to talk about the beauty, the beauty of marriage before he talks about divorce. And there's a reason for that. So look at what it says in verse 4. <clears throat> he says, having you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made, made them male and female. Verse 5. And said, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And in three verses, we find at least, and I'm going to limit my time to, to five things, to at least five things that why marriage is important and why marriage should be pursued, defended, protected, cultivated, and cherished to the best of our abilities. Five things. So I'm going to walk you through that really quick for the sake of time. Number one, Jesus says that marriage is God's idea. From the beginning, before fall, the sin entered the world, before the fall, this was God's idea. And because it was God's idea, God holds the right not only to define what marriage is, but he gets the right to say what marriage is. And if that is true, and it is because it's God's idea, you don't get to define what marriage is I don't get to define what marriage is. You don't get to live your marriage the way you want to, or you would like to. I don't get to live my marriage the way I want to, or I would like to. Why? Because marriage is not my idea. It's God's idea. Amen? Can you say God's idea? God's idea. Number two. 
It says that marriage <clears throat> is a reflection, it uh, requires exclusivity. Marriage is the physical and the emotional and the spiritual union between one man and one woman. Marriage is monogamy. Marriage is exclusivity between one man and one woman. And someone that is trying to be a smart mouth will say, well, Hannibal, if that is true and if that is God's idea, why, are there, why is there so much polygamy in the Bible? One man with multiple wives. So I want to invite you to consider that part of the reason why you have so many examples of polygamy in the Bible is not because it was a good idea. I invite you to read through every single one of those polygamous relationships and find one that is healthy and is flourishing. One. And I dare to say that there's not one good example of a, poly a polygamous relationship in the Bible. So you know what that's there? So we know what happens when people walk away from God's original design. Every time you see the bad example in the Bible is for us to see what happens when people walk away from God's original design. Number three, marriage is partnership and friendship. God creates Adam and Eve. That word beginning means a lot in the text. God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them what is called the cultural mandate. Actually, he creates Adam, and he calls him to work, to cultivate, to create, uh, to make this creation flourish, to bring beauty, to display the, the glory of God in all spheres of life. And it's with that in mind that God then creates Eve as a helper, helper fit or suitable for him. Not because Adam felt lonely, people. There's nothing in the text that says that Adam felt lonely. You know how we know that he did not feel lonely? Because there was no sin in the world, and he has perfect communion with God the Father. There is nothing uh, broken in the world at that time. Therefore, God does not create Eve to solve a problem that Adam had. God creates Eve so he won't be alone. Alone in what sense? Alone because there was, no, uh, there, there was no other creature like him, but not like him, in which both together, a male and a female, will help one another, support one another, complement one another for the glory of God and the purposes of God. So together they support each other to fulfill what theologians call the cultural mandate. So together. It's interesting because the word helper in some uh, religious circles has caused all kinds of controversies. Interesting that the word helper can also be translated as strength or, in, or influence. You know what that means? That she has the strength that he doesn't. And that he has the strength that he doesn't. And that she gets the right to influence him. Why? To fulfill God's purposes for them in this creation. This is not an isolating thing. Marriage is about partnership and friendship in the purposes of God. That we need one another. 
to work, to cultivate, to create, to reproduce, to bring beauty, to make this creation flourish. Partnership and friendship, companionship in the purposes of God. It's not just about sex. That's the problem when people grab this text that Paul says that if you are burning in passion, you should be married. Ever read that text before? It's a good thing. But imagine if that is the only reason. That's why you cannot just define something by just one text in the Bible. Imagine I go to my wife and I say, baby, I'm so in love with you. Can you marry me? And she says, why? Because I'm burning with passion. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. There's a bigger purpose, greater purpose. I want a partner, a companion for, for whatever the Lord has for me in this creation. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with sex. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with physical attraction. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with not wanting to be alone and lonely, feeling lonely, in a sense, wanting to solve that. But marriage is much more than that. And what Jesus is saying here is that marriage at the end of the day is not about me, myself, and I. It's not about you, yourself, and you. That marriage has a greater purpose to bring heaven to earth. And that we complement one another and our partners and friends in the kingdom of God. You know why I put such an emphasis in that? Because in heaven, that's the only thing we're going to get. Friendship. Not marriage. Pay attention, church. It's it's not that marriage is going to disappear. It's that there's only going to be one marriage. The church and Jesus. Therefore, our marriage here serves a preparation for that. Number four, marriage is a covenant. This is something that we talk about here in this church all the time. Did you notice the word united, one flesh? What God has joined together, no one can separate, like no one can separate. Not a contract, it's not an agreement, it's a covenant. It's when we say to one another, if you're married, I'm going to stick with you regardless of what we go through. I'm going to stick with you. From that perspective, church, marriage is not just about present love. Marriage is about future love. That's why, for example, for me as a pastor, when I'm going to officiate a marriage, the vows are so important. And actually, if you're married, I think that this, it, there's importance in you repeating the vows every now and then. Because when you pay attention to what the traditional vows say, based on biblical convictions, <clears throat> the, the biblical vows is not just about present love. It's about commitment to a future love. Let me give you the one. So one I have like four different versions. This is one of the ones that I use. Um, so if I was... Every now and then I tell my wife this. I Hannibal take you, Heidi, to be my wife, to have and to hold you from this day forward. Present love, moving into future love. In good times and bad times, when I have much and when I have little, in sickness and in health, I will love you. I will honor you. I will protect you. I will understand you. I will respect you. I will cherish you. To this, I pledge myself. Covenant. Not a contract. Five. Marriage is refining. 
So God creates a male and a female. And he says that the helper, Eve, is suitable for him. Another way to translate the word suitable is opposite to him, meaning that a male and female are same and different at the same time. That we are not supposed to be the same. And why would this opposite thing, this unity in diversity is so important? Because the only way, many times, the only way, many times, we grow is when you face something that is not like you. Is when there's some sort of pressure that goes against your natural tendencies and the things you think you like. This is why uh, Kathy and Tim Keller, in their book of marriage, they talk about marriage like, they say this, marriage by its very nature has the power of truth. The power to show you the truth about who you are. <laughs> this is the thing. I hear so many people saying, man, I got deceived. This was not the person I married. And I'm like, yes, he was. I became a different person once I got married. And I'm like, no, you didn't. What happened is that marriage has the ability by nature because of this opposite thing. To bring out what you already had inside. I've used this example many times when I said to my wife, you make me angry. And she goes, no, you get angry because you're an angry person. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with me. So, for example, if you were selfish, self-centered, and egocentric before marriage, marriage will bring that to the light. If you were proud and thought that you did not need anyone in your life before marriage, marriage will bring that out to the light. If you were harsh and impatient and not caring before marriage, marriage will bring that out to the light. Marriage by nature is refining. It forces you to change. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is exclusive. Marriage is partnership and friendship. Marriage is a covenant. And marriage is refining. This is why, as Christians, we should pursue, protect, fight, cultivate, and cherish marriage. It is the first thing Jesus says. Jesus wants to first elevate and honor the institution of marriage. So someone may ask, so if marriage is that important, then why the Bible talks about divorce? Well, that's the question that the Pharisees had, but with a different motive. But look at what it says in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus, look at what he says, and I want you to pay attention here. Because if marriage was God's original design, then marriage, can, uh, divorce cannot be part of God's original design. Actually, what Jesus is going to say is that divorce exists and divorce was permitted because of the hardness, hardness of our hearts. Verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted... Not mandated, but permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Notice that he doesn't say because their hearts were hard. 
your hearts are hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. It's a permission, not a command. Is God allowing divorce, not mandating divorce, because of the hardness in the heart of a person? What does it mean then for us to get divorced? What are the biblical justifications for anybody to pursue divorce if they were married? Listen up. I'm not going to tell you just yet. Because before we talk about that, which is painful, I want you to see a testimony of a couple that struggled with their marriage, that were married back in Colombia, that because of many problems, they, they got divorced. They came to the United States, and they landed in this church. And when they landed in this church, joined one of our discipleship programs for married people that is called Reengage. And that went through the whole program. And the very last day of the program, the day when we were celebrating everything that the Lord had done, she finally accepted to get remarried again. So pay attention to this testimony. Era un matrimonio que a la luz de, lo, de la gente vivíamos de una forma armoniosa, pero en nuestra intimidad sabíamos que nos enfrentamos a cosas que no estaban bien. Y cuando yo tuve una conversación con mi lady, ella me dijo, no, es que no es que a ti te dé vergüenza, no es que tú no sientas falta de perdón, lo que pasa es que tú tienes orgullo en tu corazón. Cuando ella me dice que yo tengo orgullo en mi corazón, fue cuando yo digo, reacciono, no puede ser orgullo, es que yo, no, es que yo, es orgullo. Es orgullo lo que yo tengo en mi corazón. Me desarmó completamente y por, él, por mi orgullo era que yo no intentaba volver a darle una oportunidad a mi esposo. Hubo un momento en el que mi lady me dijo, ¿y si es la, lo último que hagas por tu matrimonio? Capaz si sale bien. Y si no sale bien, ¿qué tienes para perder? Y dije, ok, lo voy a hacer, sí, voy a recomprometerse. Fue un momento duro porque aunque yo era el que siempre había querido, yo decía, Dios, que me ayude. Y yo le pedí a Dios que por favor que nuestro matrimonio se, se volviera a estar unido, que el, nuestros hijos, todo. Y que yo la amaba. Y cuando fue el momento del perdón, yo quería todo pero no quería soltar una parte que yo consideraba porque yo me creía espiritualmente superior a ella y fue algo que a ella le dolió y le quedó marcado esa confesión que yo le hice a ella y, y ella me dijo, sí, yo sabía que usted tenía ese concepto de mí. Yo le decía al pastor Carlos, pastor, pero como, o sea, yo por qué tengo que perdonar, o sea, es, es, eso tampoco, o sea, perdonar tanto, tampoco, o sea, como que yo sí quería perdonar, pero tampoco como que el perdón tenía un límite, tal vez para mí, para mi concepto. Y ese era mi egoísmo. Ese era, porque no tiene otra palabra sino egoísmo y falta de misericordia hacia alguien que Dios me dio, hacia alguien que Dios me dio para que sea mi esposa. Y era primero pues reconciliarme con Dios y entender que Él me ha perdonado, me ha perdonado un mundo de equivocaciones y de faltas. Lo que necesitaba era primero ponerme en dirección con Dios, aceptar y recibir su perdón y ahora poder eh, reconciliarme con mi esposo y, y perdonarlo. 
fue un momento supremamente difícil. Sacaba el pulso y me, me volteé a mirar y, y llamó así como al pastor Carlos de mi lady y le dice, si me quiero casar yo, ¿en serio? O sea, todo el tiempo desde que le propuse y hasta hoy así como que sí, yo quería saltar. Yo decía, Dios, gracias, qué bueno eres tú, cómo puedes hacer que algo que parecía imposible hoy en día se esté haciendo realidad. Let me go back to the question, if marriage is that good then, why we talk about divorce? Point number two. Yeah, marriage is good. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Actually, if you have been married for more than a week, you know that that is true. <laughs> marriage is hard, man. And what Jesus is going to say about divorce is two things, actually. One, that he would say that marriage, divorce is a negative thing. That we shouldn't celebrate divorce. Right? And at the same time, he's going to say something that sometimes divorce is necessary. For the sake of the person. He is not going to celebrate divorce. But he's going to say that sometimes divorce is necessary. Why would Jesus say that divorce is, uh, is negative? And why is it that we shouldn't celebrate? We don't have a ministry that celebrates divorce. It's because at the end of the day, it's painful and it hurts people. And everyone that goes through that, through that has some, some sort of a scar that they're going to have to live with and deal with. It is the natural reaction and process of someone that has gone through brokenness. But if you remember, Jesus says that the reason why divorce exists is because at times our hearts become hard. So, for example, if marriage is God's idea, and God is the one that defines what marriage is and how we live it, it is the hardness of heart that starts to work in the heart that takes, that, that, make, that we start to redefine what marriage is supposed to be. It's a redefinition of what marriage is supposed to be. If God, if marriage is exclusivity between a man and a woman, the hardness of our heart starts uh, to move us and say, maybe you should consider other people as a better option. And for some people, start to cultivate emotional intimacy, emotional intimacy with people that is not the spouse. And because of that, we, we don't protect what the Lord has given us. That's why people go into that route. For some other people, if marriage is partnership and friendship, the hardness of the heart does not allow people to cultivate that friendship. And it becomes more about me and what I want and my desire, not what is good for us, the glory of God and the purposes of God. Marriage then becomes something that is just about me. If marriage is a covenant... And it's a commitment that the two people are making to one another. The hardness of the heart starts to work within and says uh, 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 to be committed with conditions. If I do this, you got to do this. If you don't do that, I don't have to do that. If marriage is refining 
And you're supposed to allow the opposite person to help you grow and identify what's wrong in my heart. The hardness of heart starts to work in our heart and tells you that all the problems in your marriage is because of your spouse. Instead of checking inside of you, what is it that the Lord needs to work in you? Divorce is presented as something negative because it is a failure to uphold marriage to what marriage is supposed to be. Listen up, church. Contrary to what the culture says, that tends to turn marriage as something that I have to fulfill my needs, my desires, and what I want, the Bible shows you that marriage is not about you. It's about him and his purposes. And that when we turn that thing around, that's when problems start to show up. Because marriage at the end of the day, because it's not about you and it's not about me, but it's about him and his purposes, requires that everyone in marriage must learn to die to themselves. That's a hard call. I bet you that 90% of the people that are here probably, probably didn't think about that before you got married. What is interesting, though, is that Jesus is talking to a modern uh, traditional culture, right? And among that group are the disciples. And I actually think that the disciples is the perfect example of traditional people becoming modern. You know how I know that? Because of what they said in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Can you imagine if the wives were there? Because we know that most of them are married. Excuse me? <laughs> what did you just say? Because they understood what marriage required. And they are hearing how much it takes for someone to make marriage work. That's why divorce is not a good thing. On the other hand, says Jesus, sometimes divorce is necessary. We are not to celebrate it, but sometimes it's necessary, and there's no way around it. And Matthew is going to give us one reason, and Paul is going to give us another reason. And by the way, this is always debated by many Christians in different places, so I'm going to stick to the Bible. And if you have issues with that, we could talk. All right? But you better bring a verse. <laughs> Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus, I love the way the NIV translates this because there are other translations that says uh, adultery only. But that is not the word. The original word in the original is porneia, which is all sexual immorality. Sexual sin in the Bible could be adultery, fornication, pornography, bestiality, prostitution, homosexual practice. All of these things is porneia. So what Jesus says is that a person has permission, biblical justification for divorce, if there is one of the partners, one of the spouses in the relationship uh, has an, uh, an un unrepented heart that does not care about changing and moving on and transforming his life or her life, if the person is struggling with this sexual sin and is doing nothing about it and is not repented of it, there is a biblical justification for divorce. Do you know why? 
Because sexual sin is a spiritual union, emotional union with something or something else besides the spouse. Did you know that? That's one of the issues with pornography. You are participating in somebody else's union. That's a crazy thing. Now, Paul will give us a second justification, biblical justification for divorce. And I know that this one might be shocking, so please just listen. If you don't want to take it, don't take it. But I'm going to be as biblical as I can. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. This is Paul talking to the church. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister, the church, is not bound in such a circumstances. God, in such circumstances, God has called us to live in peace. And the scholars would call this the abandonment or separation of marriage. That means that if there's a person that leaves or abandons or separates from the, from the spouse and never returns and does not care about ever returning and fixing things, there is a biblical justification for divorce. Why? Because that person is breaking the union that was already there. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Abandonment or separation also means when there is an abusive relationship in which the person does not repent and does not care about changing restoration uh, and unification. It's a form of abandonment. Why? Because the person is breaking the covenant of marriage, of union, he's separate or she's separating. Now listen up, church. Does that mean that if someone is going through that, they have to separate? Of course not. As a church, that's why we will do anything in our power to help you seek reconciliation and restoration. Anything in our power. But at the same time, we acknowledge that sometimes that just doesn't happen. Either because the spouses already can't do it, too wounded, too hurt, or because one of them actually don't want it. Now, if that's your case, I want you to hear this really well. In the midst of all that, there's always grace in the midst of all of this. And if that is your case, that doesn't mean that you have ruined your life. Because the grace of God restores everything. That's important for you to hear. See, according to Jesus, uh, divorce shouldn't be celebrated. But Jesus also understands that sometimes divorce is necessary. Now, you have no idea how important that was for those people to hear and for us to hear it today. I already mentioned that that culture was a traditional culture. And in traditional culture, the cultures, the tendency is to idolize marriage. Marriage is everything. If I don't get married, I'm nobody. You know what's interesting? Modern culture, they do the same thing every now and then. The difference between the, the traditional culture and the modern culture is that the traditional culture just gave no room to anybody not to get married is to idolize marriage like if there's nothing else in the world. That what defines a person is for a person to be married. But what the modern culture has done is that they actually take that 
or walk away from that and they go to the extremes. Modern people will say, well, I'm not nobody if, I, if, I don't, if I'm not married. But at the same time, at all the times they would say, well, if marriage is a complication, man, why do we need that piece of paper? Marriage is not necessary. It's better to have friends with benefits than to be bound to anybody. Can you see the two extremes? And once again, Jesus masterfully, he would say, no, 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 no. Marriage is important, but it's not your idol. You know why? Because marriage is not about you. And he will go to the modern people and will say, no, 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 no. Marriage is important, but you don't have, but marriage is not for everybody. Isn't that crazy? So let's talk about singleness. And this is going to go quick, I promise. No, I can't. You remember what the disciple says in verse 10? The disciple said to him, it is better not to marry. So look at what Jesus responds in verse 11. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs, uh, eunuchs who, who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs, with that word, by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's very important for us to understand. Because he shows that some people are born that way, like naturally, right? And there are people that choose to live that way. He actually says that this has been given to them. You know what that uh, word is so important? Because it's, it's the same word that we could use to talk about a calling. It's a calling either for a fragment of time, for a season of time, or a calling for some people that that's their calling forever. And I actually think that in, any way, in, in a way for people to enjoy and celebrate and embrace their singleness is to see it as something that God has given at least for a season of time. See, if it's a calling, then your singleness has a bigger purpose than just waiting to get married. If it's a calling, the purpose is for use, you, uh, to use your singleness for the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like. Once again, Jesus is doing these two things with the two cultures. He's saying to the traditional people that think that marriage is the only option, that idolize marriage, he says, don't do that. In the kingdom of God, there is a place for single people. They can live their singleness to the fullest. They can flourish because there is a purpose in their singleness and there is a purpose for their singleness. But for modern people would say, singleness is not about you having freedom from the restrictions of marriage. Singleness is not just to do as you please. Singleness is not just you give your singleness to whatever you want. Singleness is about having the flexibility and the freedom to do things that married people sometimes just can't do. Paul is going to make the same argument in the book of Corinthians. So here's a question. What is that married people need to motivate them to protect, cultivate, and cherish marriage? And the second question is, what is it that single people need to embrace, honor, 
their calling as single. What is that these two groups need in order for them to leave what the Lord has called us to leave? And I want to make the argument that the need is exactly the same for both groups. That the married people need to understand how much they have been loved by God in order for them to extend love to the spouse. And the single needs to understand how much they have been loved by God to be able to enjoy their singleness. At the end of the day, is the love of God. How about if I tell you that when Jesus was talking about marriage and divorce and singleness, pay attention to this, please, church. That when Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce and singleness, he's talking to us about his own personal experience. Let me read this to you. Because Jesus so much, so much loved this world. And so much loved his kingdom. And so much loved his people. That he came as a single man. To identify with the single. A single man that was also a bridegroom. That came seeking for his people. He came seeking for his people that had divorced from him. Came seeking for people that had intimacy with other gods, other idols, other things. He came seeking for the people that had abandoned him. He came seeking for people that were seeking for fulfillment and happiness by being with other people. Idolatrous people. And the single and bridegroom God man came to rescue his wife and make a covenant with it, with her. Made a covenant with the church. And Jesus says this to the church. I, Jesus, go to the cross to take you, unfaithful wife, to be my church, to make a covenant with you, to have you and to hold you from this day forward, in good times and in bad times, when you sin and when you don't sin, when you have much and when you have little, when you are sick and when you are healthy, I promise you today by the power of my blood, I will love you. I will protect you. I will cherish you. To this I pledge myself. And he looks at heaven and says, it is done. Do you have that? That's what you need. Let me pray. My beautiful Savior, I'm grateful that when we were unfaithful, you remained faithful. That when we walked away from you, Lord, you did not walk away from us, but came to save us and rescue us. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that whether we are married or we have been divorced or we are single, I pray, Lord, that we could see your love and find your love sufficient for whatever season uh, we are into. If we are married, that we find your love sufficient so we could love. If we are being divorced, Lord, that we find your love to be sufficient so we could uh, deal with, with the struggle and the pain we go through. 
And that if we are single, Lord, we see your love as sufficient to the point that we can enjoy our singleness. And I pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says... We ever needed the Lord before, you know we sure do need Him now. Oh, we sure do need Him now. Oh, Lord, we sure do need Him now. If we ever needed the Lord before, you know we sure do.
You know, the Bible says that when we make it to heaven, when we actually get to, marry, to our future marry, uh, wedding, there's going to be people from all nations and tribes, and the worship bands over there are going to be crazy good. I think that our, our team is going to be there. <laughs> right? You guys did awesome. I'm going to ask you to please stand to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine in us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent. Just to make our hearts feel
Lord before. You know we sure do need Him now. Oh, we sure do need Him now. Oh, Lord, we sure do need Him now. If we ever needed the Lord before, you know we sure do need Him now. We need.